Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the pulpit of the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. Who was Luke? History tells us that Luke was an investigative historian, one who searched out the people who personally knew Jesus. As one of the earliest Gospels, Luke presents a compelling argument for the existence of Jesus, and proof of his claims to be both God and men, the blameless Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In this seventh installment in the series, The Gospel of Luke A Journey with Jesus, entitled A Sunrise's Visit, Pastor Justin tells us about the song Zechariah sings over his newborn son, a song with over 33 Old Testament references to the Messiah. He also reminds us that there will come a day when we must make a decision to follow that Messiah, Jesus, or we will ourselves be cast into the outer darkness with no hope, no second chances, for eternity. Pastor Justin begs us, if we haven't already, to make that decision today. Accept the grace that God so freely offers through Jesus. If you open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 1, we're going to round out the chapter this morning. It's a long chapter. Uh, 80 verses here. We're going to look at verses 67 through 80 this morning. Please rise as we read this passage of Holy Scripture for us this morning. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and has redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show the mercy promised our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness, before him all our days. A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as our minds and our senses are, are so inflamed this morning, the excitement over Christmas and of the season, of all this, uh, the special celebrations, of just this atmosphere of being in your presence this morning. May we hear these words and receive them as part of this great gift, this amazing gift that you have given to each one of us. I pray that we would not just read these as words, but as Moses said, they are not just words, they are life. They are our life this morning. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. It was around this time, I don't know, 1996, 1997, that I wanted to come back from our month-long winter break in college. I wanted to come back a couple weeks early. I was kind of spinning my wheels at home, so I called up my college. I said, "Just can I come back? And they said, well, yes, you can, but because we'll be paying for your room and board, you're going to have to do some work. I said, that seems fair. So I came back, and for two weeks, I worked as a security guard. 
the only two weeks I've ever been a security guard in my life. But they put me, I, obviously, my imposing stature, they said, we got a great job for you. And they put me in charge of guarding the women's dormitory at night. You're welcome, women. I, I lost nobody under my, my guidance there whatsoever. What I remember from those two weeks was every day spending an entire night awake, which was the first time I've ever been awake for a full night for two consecutive weeks. And I remember just sitting there, reading a book, once an hour, going around, walking around. And I think it was the first time I realized how long a night could be. I mean, if you've ever stayed up at night, I think all of us have at some point, and you're just watching the hours tick by, it's a long night. The night is still. It's quiet. There's not a lot going on. In fact, it feels like everything's frozen. The, the darkness leeches out all the color of the world. You feel small, isolated, afraid even. Well, not me, security guard, but uh, maybe you. But what I, the best part of that time of being a security guard was the sunrise. Because when the sun started peeking out, it was like somebody was gradually turning a dial on the world. The light, the color would flood back into everything. You'd hear all the animals waking up, the birds, the people would start moving around. I would see better. And it just felt like life was there. Light was there. It was just such a relief to have the sunrise finally visit. I never really appreciated a sunrise until I had to endure the long darkness of night. And that is certainly where Israel had been for a long time. In fact, verse 79 of our reading today said that spiritually, Israel had been sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death ever since Adam and Eve fell to sin. That's a long night. That's a very long night. But they sat there scared and vulnerable. They did remember that God gave a promise to them through the prophet Malachi. And I know maybe some of us would go, well, what did Malachi say? It's a short book. But in that short book, God is giving them some amazing promises about the coming Messiah. And they were told, and they held on to this promise, they were told one day a sunrise would happen. They were told that the sun, the Emmanuel, would rise with healing in his wings. And when that happened, it would be like somebody turned on the light switch to the world. The Malachi said, the people will be like calves leaping out of their stall to go running in the fields, excited, full of energy. John the Baptist's birth, by the way, wasn't the sunrise, but it was the glow of the sunrise on the horizon. They could see it. It was starting to happen. And filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment, John's father, Zechariah, who, who now had his tongue unlocked after, uh, what was it, nine months? Yeah, nine months. Nine months cleared his throat, and suddenly prophesied through song. And he sang to welcome this coming dawn, the moment when God would take our death and turn it into life, where he would push away the dark and bring in the light. This right here, this song, is the song of your life, as sung by a humble priest 2,000 years ago. Now, when God chooses people to author Scripture, it's really important for us to understand how this happens, what the process is. God doesn't, didn't go into somebody and kind of take control of them like a puppeteer and make them like a Ouija board suddenly start writing words on the page. 
divine inspiration is God going into somebody's life and pushing his word, his message, through a filter of who they are. (coughs) Sorry. So that person, their, their experiences, their tone, their viewpoint will be kind of filtered into the scripture, will be added to that. So it is God's word, but God's word through a filter of people that he chose to divinely inspire. It's why each book of the Bible has a different tone, has a different style to it. Something written by Moses sounds different than something written by David or by John. Yet here's the thing, the message is consistent. There's a cohesiveness to it because it is the very word of God. And he doesn't let that word become muddled or distorted, even as he inspires it through people. So God, in this moment, is inspiring scripture through this priest. Zechariah gets to author scripture in this moment. And it filters through this life of an old priest who has lived, who has studied, who knows scripture so very well. And that's why when scholars go to study this song, the Benedictus, the third of the carols, or I'm sorry, the second of the carols that we've been looking at here in Luke, when we go, script, uh, scholars look at this one short song, they have found 33 references to the Old Testament. That's Zechariah using all his, his, his knowledge, all his learning, and God organizing that and divinely inspiring it into this song. 33 references. And what Zechariah is saying with all of these references is that the birth of the Messiah's herald and then the Messiah to come wasn't an accident. It isn't a random occurrence, but rather this is something that has been talked about, planned about for hundreds if not thousands of years. And it's finally now culminating. We're on the cusp of it. It's like, guys, can't you see? It's almost there. The sun is almost over the horizon. Get excited. We're at the, the culmination of this history that God's been talking about for a long time. And Zechariah primarily seizes upon two parts of the Old Covenant to sing about, how God is being faithful and fulfilling the covenant of the people. And the first part of this is the covenant God made with David to provide an enduring king over an everlasting kingdom. One day, God said to David, there will come from your line a king who will sit on the throne forever, and he will sit on the throne over a kingdom that will last forever. What an amazing promise. People probably, their imagination started going, will that be Israel? Our small country lasts forever. And we'll have a king that will never die. What will it be like? The people knew this king was coming. And when he came, he would arrive to save them. And it was this king that Isaiah prophesied about in his famous passage, we always read at Christmas. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders because he will be king. He will sit on this throne. Israel was desperate for this king as they sat in the darkness. Death, violence, broken relationships, blasphemy, straying away from God. This was the status quo. This is what they had dwelt in. And it kept humanity in oppressive darkness and it felt like there was no escape. We don't have to use our imagination to picture what that felt like because we just have to go outside. Everywhere in our world today, we can look around and we can see people sitting 
in oppressive darkness. People feeling it. Now, they may, they may deny it. They may put a really good face on. Say, you know, life's what you make of it. There's always good things. Look on the bright side of life. But at the end of the day, they huddle in their beds, and they feel the darkness, and they feel like they can't escape. But in his own Christmas carol, Zechariah sings of a sunrise that brings escape, that brings salvation. He sings this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. There's that past tense again. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now the horn he speaks of here, he sings of, isn't a trumpet. We're not thinking of a trumpet horn. We're thinking of the horns of a bull. Now, I, I've, I've been terrified of horses. I never want to get close to a bull because I see those horns. And I know that when a, a bull really wants to intimidate you, a bull will raise up his horns and then he'll kind of do side to side because he really wants you to see those really impressive horns on his head. And you know if a, a bull starts doing that and starts pawing the ground, he's about to charge. He's coming for you. And you best get out of the way. Sin, he's coming for you death. He's coming for you. Who's coming? Jesus. The one who's raising his horn. Misery and death, you had your day, but your day is over. He is coming, and he's not going to stop charging until he gets to the sacrificial altar and sacrifices himself to rid sin from our lives forever, to get that darkness out of us. Which is, by the way, why we study the Old Testament. Why Zechariah studied it. So he would understand what this dawn meant. What this sunrise meant. What the Messiah would mean. If you don't study the Old Testament, you don't understand the darkness that the people lived in. And you don't hear about the promises that they were given of the salvation to come. Isaiah, Malachi, David, they all knew this salvation was promised someday. They didn't know when. They knew it was coming. And they were excited. They were always looking about when that would happen. For us, it has happened. And so it's amazing for us to go back to the Old Testament and to read about it and to be amazed at God's plan of seeing it from a a bird's eye view and seeing how all these pieces fit together. Speaking of lost people, the other day I was on a, a message board for Generation X and every once in a while I go there, and so I was reading, and there was, a, there was a, a forum thread that really caught my eye because somebody said, does anybody else feel like they don't know what their purpose is in life? Click, want to read that. And so I opened that up, and thread after thread, message after message, were people hitting their 50s and their 60s and saying to each other, yeah. I've been working my whole life. I've been accomplishing all these things. I've had a family. I've done this. I've done that. And I still don't feel like I've fulfilled my purpose. I feel lost. A lot of people saying that. I feel lost. I didn't see one person saying, I know what my purpose is. But I did read a really interesting response. It was so interesting. I wrote it down because I wanted to share it with you. Because here's what living in darkness sounds like. Listen to this. Listen to somebody putting on a brave face and then contradicting themselves all over the place. This person wrote, Hey guys, everything truly matters. Our lives are extremely important, but there is absolutely no purpose or meaning to any of it. Stop looking for meaning. 
meaning is irrelevant. You're important, but you don't have a purpose. Hmm. Everything matters, but there's no meaning to all of it. I was like, that doesn't make sense. That's a logical contradiction. Well, the truth is, and the truth they didn't see, is that you are important when God gives you purpose. You matter when you matter to him. That is the only way you will find a purpose in your life. Zechariah sings about it here, verses 72 through 75. Because he goes to another part of the covenant in the Old Testament. He goes to the one that God made to Abraham. And he says, well, remember, remember that covenant that God said to Abraham? He said, through you, I will create this great family, a nation of a family. And I will give you a land, and you will settle that. And through your nation, through your family, I will bless the world. It will be amazing. But in this covenant that God gave to Abraham, God did something in Genesis chapter 22 that he has never done anywhere else in the Bible. It's a one-time only thing. We've never seen it anywhere else. It's really astounding. God swears by himself. God swears by himself. He said to Abraham in Genesis 22, By myself I have sworn, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And it's this oath that Zechariah seizes on when he looks at the coming Messiah, and he sings, The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Might serve him without fear. What's amazing about our salvation isn't that God is pulling us out of the fire, out of our darkness, out of our danger, and then just saying, well, you're saved, go about your life. Because we would still be lost we would still be without a purpose. No, God saves us from something to something. He saves us from death to purpose, to life everlasting. And Zechariah rightly sees that salvation is a full package deal. It's a full package. It saves us from sin to a lifelong purpose. He says we're saved so that we can joyfully serve the Lord. That's what you're made to do. And when everybody's walking around in darkness saying, I don't know what my purpose is, it's because you don't know God. And you don't know that in God only do you have your purpose. Do you have your being? It puts into mind Exodus 7, when God told Pharaoh, that famous, like, let my people go. But he says something after that. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Let my people go so that they may have a purpose in me. It's the only way that we, they could find full satisfaction and meaning. The sunrise that Zechariah saw coming was about to bring a whole lot of purpose to a whole lot of people. That's why he's excited about it. That's why he's, he's singing as loudly as he can. And Romans 12 later would say that when we are saved, our bodies become a living sacrifice. We are not throwing ourselves on an altar saying, God, kill me. We're throwing ourselves in front of him saying, God, use me. What can I do for you today? Whether it's in my life, in my relationships, in my work, in my ministries, in my hobbies, in my passions, what can I do for the glory of God? How can I have my purpose and my meaning in you today? That's what Zechariah is talking about. That's the glory, not the glory of our own egos or selfishness, 
the glory of a sunrise that shows us a purpose. And then in the final section of this song, a father looks down. And remember, he's holding John, his baby boy. And he's emotionally overwhelmed at this beautiful little child, not just his own, but that has been given to all of Israel as their first fully functional prophet that the whole country has ever seen in the last 400 years. And he sings that John has this great ministry, that he's going to prepare the people for the salvation to come. He's going to prepare them. Because those people are going to need that preparation. They have been living in dark way too long. They're too comfortable with it. They've known nothing else. They're not ready to receive salvation. Any farmer knows that if you go to sow crops, you don't go out there on day one and then just start flinging seeds all over the place and expect a good turn, return on your investment. A good farmer knows you have to prepare the ground. You have to go till it. You have to go break up that hard, maybe frozen ground. You have to make it soft. You have to make it pliable. You have to get rid of the weeds and the trash. Get that all out of there. Dig up the earth and then make it ready for the seeds to come. And that was the ministry of John the Baptist. He wasn't coming to save people. He was coming to get them ready to become saved. He was the hard farmer. The one who had to go into their lives. And he used hard words. He was harsh with them. Because a farmer had to be firm. You guys have been living in sin. Repent. Turn to God. Be baptized. People were by John the Baptist. By the scores. By the hundreds in the Jordan River. Their hearts made soft made ready for the message to come. And then when Jesus Christ came, unlike John the Baptist, who had a hard hand with him, Jesus comes with tender mercy. Verse 78 tells us this. The sunrise visiting them from on high took root in humble hearts. Hearts made soft. Hearts made ready. And when that, that sunrise came, and the salvation was planted in them, Jesus could then guide them out of the darkness and into the way of peace everlasting. Just last month in India, I don't know if you saw the news, but 41 construction workers were trapped in a tunnel by a collapse for three weeks. For three weeks, they stayed in that tunnel while people dug to go get them. And after 17 days, they finally opened up a hole and was able to get these 17 men out. And I'll tell you one thing, not one of those 17 men said, no, I prefer to stay in the darkness. I prefer to stay back there. I got really comfortable there in that dark, scary place without any light. No, they ran for the light. They were eager to get out. And you would think that would be how the world is today that lives in the darkness. But that's not true. It's not true of the unrepentant sinner who says with as much bravado, I don't need God. I make my own meaning. I make my own happiness. I am all that I need. Those people are still buried in darkness, even if they deny it. And my warning to you, if this is you, is that there is a greater darkness, an eternal darkness to come. In that darkness, there is no escape. There is no second chance. It is waiting for you if you do not throw yourself upon the grace of Jesus and accept his salvation. I was in darkness once. We all were. We knew the darkness of our sin. 
the darkness of our despair. But one day, we saw the sunrise of tender mercy, the sunrise of the Messiah coming with healing in his wings. And we needed that healing. We needed our souls healed. And that, for, that sunrise forgave us of our trespasses, gave us a real purpose, and showed us a path out of the darkness and into peace. On Christmas Eve, we can say this with 100% assurance. The sunrise is here. The sunrise is here. And his merciful compassion can't be bought, tricked, earned, or stolen. It can only be given and received. Receive his grace. Receive his light. Come into the sunrise. And we receive it when God has tilled our hearts and we confess our sins. And we receive that gift. Receive it today and live in the light. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful song. A song by an old father himself, singing to his son, singing to the people of Israel, singing to the church, singing to the world. We thank you that even when your hand is hard with us, we know that it is to make our hearts soft, to grow a faith in us, a genuine belief in the trust of your promises. Lord, you have given us such great promises. You have sworn by your own name to bless us and to bless the world through your Son. And so today on Christmas Eve, we thank you for that. We thank you for how faithful you are to us, how great of a God you are to save. And we pray that you continue to work in the hearts of those who are living in this darkness. Lord, use us to bring your message to them. Use our love, our testimony, our lives to bring them the word of the gospel of grace. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. You can listen to other sermons on our website at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. To reach out to Knox Church or request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Or send a text to our prayer hotline at 833-240-1824, that number to text prayer requests to again is 833-240-1824. Please include the word pray in your request. You may write to us at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York 14217. Our YouTube channel can be found at youtube.com forward slash at Knox EPC. Thank you again for joining us.